Welcome to the Transition to Practice podcast series. I'm Justine Zavitz with Zavitz Insurance. This is the first of a series of podcasts that we have developed to help residents in all stages with some of the major financial decisions that they are going to be facing, uh, both within residency and as they transition into practice. Over this series, we will be interviewing a number of people um, to give us their input and feedback in their areas of expertise. Right now, I'd like to introduce Courtney Dale. Courtney is my associate advisor at Zavitz Insurance, and she is going to be conducting the interview today. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Justine. Thanks so much for the introduction. Today, we have an exciting topic for the first edition of our podcast series. As Justine mentioned, we're sitting here today with Dr. Adam Lucas. Welcome, Adam. Hi, thank you for having me. Adam is a newly practicing physician, joining a family health team approximately one year ago, shortly after graduating residency. What makes this chat especially exciting is that Dr. Adam Lucas is also Justine's husband. So it'll be great to talk to the two of them about some of the decisions that Adam made throughout residency and as entering practice. Before we get started and have a conversation with Adam, Justine, if you could provide us with a bit of an overview of some of the topics that we're going to be discussing today. For sure. So um, today we wanted to have a discussion with Adam first to get a sense of some of the financial decisions he made and why he made them um, and what his perspective on them were. And then we're going to come back to some of these decisions um, and I'm going to add some of my input being someone who is more of the expert in the financial field and the insurance field and talk about uh, some of the insurance implications that those decisions had for for him and for us as as a couple. Excellent. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. Now, before we get started, Adam, we were wondering if you could give us a bit of an overview of how you got to this point, as this will sound probably quite familiar to a lot of our listeners here today. Sure, no problem. Well, I was, uh, I'm actually from London and did my undergrad degree in Honours Health Science at Western. Uh, I actually got into med school in one of the American schools that's chartered in the Caribbean, St. Matthews University in the Cayman Islands. So I spent the first uh, approximately 18 months of my medical school down in the Cayman Islands for the uh, essentially in-class portion. And then like most of the schools down there did all of my clinical rotations in the United States, um, moved around uh, between a few different cities and then had the opportunity to do some of my, uh, or a majority of my electives uh, at Western. just in preparation uh, of trying to match uh, back to uh, the Canadian systems through CARMS. Now, I just wanted to circle back around and start at the beginning now. So Cayman Island for medical school, that sounds like pretty amazing. Yeah, it was a a unique um, place to be for sure. Obviously a beautiful setting. Didn't get to enjoy it as much as I would have liked to, obviously studying a lot and uh, met a lot of uh, interesting people and it was an opportunity to meet um, you know people from all over the world that were there to study medicine uh, predominantly Canadians Americans and um, those from the UK so we had some rotations uh, obviously across the United States and then uh, through uh, the United Kingdom as well excellent now I have to admit that when you're you're mentioning this it all sounds very expensive 
um, was Cayman Island, did you find that the cost of living there was much more than the cost of living here in Canada or even the, the United States? Certainly, US? certainly. So the, the Cayman Islands in particular is an extremely um, expensive place to live. Uh, I know that other uh, Canadians studying abroad were in similar situations, um, you know, through um, the United Kingdom or over in Australia. I have some peers that were, were over there. Uh, and also, of course, the, the travel to and from home uh, on breaks, and then eventually, uh, once I was into to clinicals, um, moving around from from city to city became extremely expensive. Not to mention, of course, the uh, the tuition and um, all of the other responsibilities that you had as a medical student financially. Absolutely. Now, a lot of our listeners are going to know those great expenses of medical school. And then having on top of that the the added expense of, of medical school abroad. So, how did you allocate a lot of a lot of your your funds and your debt level through medical school? Well, I was very careful to be honest. Uh, I secured a loan a line of credit um, with the bank that I was working with at the time, and then I ended up actually after my first semester switching over to an alternative bank because they provided. Um, you know, a better opportunity for medical professionals at a, at a more desirable rate. And, um, you know, I really just tried to be cautious and, um, you know, allocate responsibly. Now, moving forward a few years, I understand that you were fortunate enough to match your first choice in residency here in London. Yeah, I was I, I was very fortunate. Uh, it's a very difficult situation that um, you know IMGs have, but also um, Canadians studying abroad who wish to match back through the CARM system to Canadian residency programs. So um, it was a trying experience throughout my clinical rotations because I spent time in Chicago and Orlando, um, parts of Michigan, and then. Uh, had to do my best to secure my own spot uh, with the rotations uh, or the clinical rotations in Canada. Uh, that was helpful securing that residency uh, position and um, again yeah very fortunate to, um, to match to Western and the London and surrounding area which was my first choice. So I'm sure that that was not only exciting for you and your family, but also exciting for Justine as now you've gone through a few years of a long distance relationship and now you've moved back to Ontario and you're engaged, you were engaged at the time, planning for a wedding and buying a house. So how did your debt levels impact these major life decisions such as asking Justine to marry you, decisions on a house to purchase and a mortgage level that you were both comfortable with? And what were some of the considerations that you had when making these big decisions? Certainly it affected almost every decision I made both uh, you know regarding our relationship as well as pursuing things like buying a home. There was a lot of uncertainty as a Canadian medical student studying abroad because it uh, is more difficult for us to match to the Canadian program. So once I knew that I had the, the you know was given the opportunity to uh, pursue the residency in Canada it allowed me to uh, go ahead and make the decisions that I was kind of waiting on like asking Justine um, to marry me, start talking about, um, you know, a mortgage and a home and things like that, buying a car and all sorts of um, other things that I wasn't able to do until I had paperwork in my hand that I was going to have the chance to, uh, to study here uh, for my residency. So now about a year ago, you started into practice and that must have been a great feeling getting that 
first paycheck after all those long years of training and now the training is over and you get to move forward with with your career and your long-term plans so on a side note what did you do with your first paycheck did you pay down debt i did on a trip i did did i think uh by the time by the time uh i got that first paycheck as an independent physician um even with you know some of the um, the income that's coming in as a resident still was in a a, a, a substantial amount of debt. So I, I you know I was pretty careful. I think um, you know we treated ourselves a little bit to um, a vacation or something, if I recall. But uh, for the most part, um, I'm after a look from Justine, I think you may still owe her that vacation. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But um, when when you start to see those uh, those numbers accumulating, especially as uh, you know a young person with with zero income as a medical student, um, I was I was always very cautious with uh, with the income that I started to make for sure. Okay, so now we're now we're a year into practice. You're making a steady income, and how are you managing your your debt repayment? Your living expenses. Now we're fast forwarding. You're both married. You have a kid. You've got a car. You've got a mortgage. And plus you have this line of credit that you're ultimately trying to to pay off. So after a year of having a steady income, can you give me just a brief outline of where you're allocating your paycheck and your funds to? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a huge step forward. And uh, a lot of us in the, the you know, coming from, you know, a science and then a, eventually a medicine background don't have some of the uh, understanding of, of finances and the importance of planning ahead. I was lucky enough to uh, get into a family health organization and have what's called an income stabilization year. Um, just just made that cutoff before that became unavailable. So that first year I did have a steady income. Other family physicians and other, uh, you know, specialists, I think, aren't uh, as lucky to have that that steady income coming in so that helped a lot uh, as far as allocating funds I mean it's just uh, becoming familiar with your expenses I mean you have to understand that you're taking on um, you know a, uh, a set of expenses with employees and overhead staff uh, various other small expenses so you know just being aware that um, you know the number that you're seeing going into the bank account then has to be split into your you know monthly expenses and uh, of course paying back uh, the debt and then you know doing that responsibly and until you feel you're at a level that you're comfortable that you can start to you know spend some of that money on other things like you know, mortgages and, and um, you know car payments and some of the other expenses that come along with daily living. Great. Now, throughout our little chat here, you've mentioned a number of times that you're fortunate enough to have your partner be be a specialist in the in some of these fields and was able to provide to you recommendations on how to keep all of these these debt levels in check. So I'm going to circle this back around to Justine, who's going to talk to us a little bit about what recommendations she made to you, what stage she suggested that you take these recommendations, and um, Justine, being the expert in this field, will be able to provide some insight onto these these items. Yeah, well, um, for those of you who don't know me, I am uh, a specialist in the insurance arena. So I do a lot of disability, life, critical illness, and long-term care insurance, as well as health benefits for my clients. And my clients are predominantly medical professionals. 
Um, and for those who you're wondering in your minds, it was just a co coincidence that I ended up marrying one. <laughs> um, and um, but, but on top of being a specialist in the insurance field, I do also hold my certified financial planner designation and uh, do a lot of overall financial planning with my clients uh, before making insurance recommendations. So. Um, Adam's situation was not one that I was unfamiliar with, although I had not lived it yet. <laughs> and um, so <laughs> it was a bit different living through it. I have to admit, Carms was more stressful than I thought it would be. <laughs> now I fully understand where everyone's coming from. Yeah, you can really empathize with a lot of those. Yes, yes. I couldn't figure out before why they couldn't make a decision before Carms. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> so um, let's start from uh, the first thing that I suggested to Adam, which... Um, was it did come down to the banking um, because I had seen so many times that a lot of medical students, uh, you know, very frequently just go to the bank that they've always banked with for their lines of credit without knowing that there are actually some very unique and competitive offers specifically designed for healthcare professionals. Um, and, and the other little tidbit on that is that sometimes the bank at which you're banking, even if it is one of those banks that offers these competitive programs, um, if you're dealing with the person at the local branch, sometimes they don't even know that those competitive programs exist. So my first tidbit to Adam was to speak to someone who specialized with healthcare professionals at the banks at which they're most competitive in order to get himself the most competitive line of credit option available. Um, and so that helped save him, uh, I think, a whole percentage point of interest on the line of credit. Yeah, and at that time, it, it maybe didn't seem like, um, you know, a significant amount. But um, when you start to escalate that debt, it certainly saved me a, a significant amount of money. So the next thing that I did, and uh, this won't surprise many of you listening that have heard me speak before, was I, uh, I don't even think I recommended that he get disability insurance. I'm pretty much um, forced him to sign the piece of paper. Um, <laughs> he's the only client that I have that I can just say, you are buying this, hands down. <laughs> so um, in, I believe it was about his second year of uh, medical school, I told Adam that he should get disability insurance. And um, the reason that I did that was because we were technically considered, although he was living out of country, we were considered to be common law. Um, his stuff all lived at my house, and when he came home, he lived at the house. So um, we were technically common law, we were filing our taxes as common law, and my biggest fear was that if Adam ever got disabled and wasn't able to finish school, that the bank was going to come to me to start paying off his debt. Um, and I was not really excited about that. <laughs> so I, uh, I said I wanted him to get disability insurance, not only to protect myself, obviously, but protect, to protect him too. Um, so if down the road um, he couldn't finish school, whether we were together or not, uh, you know, you don't want to go bankrupt. That debt exists now, even though you're not a physician yet, and the banks aren't so um, willing and excited about advancing you more funds if they know you're not going to eventually become a doctor one day who makes an income. So um, on top of that, I also knew that Adam was healthy at the time, and so he, you know, I encouraged him to buy the insurance while he was healthy so that he qualified for the coverage with the most competitive offer available. Moving forward into residency, um, you know, I, he constantly encouraged Adam to continue to increase his disability coverage as he was entitled to. And then as he started making a residence income, it, it was, um, I, I helped with prioritizing that paycheck 
to say that the majority of it should be going onto his line of credit right away. So anytime a paycheck hit the bank account, put it on your line of credit. We were already used to you know, paying regular lifestyle expenses with just my income. So let's just pretend he doesn't have an income and let's put everything down on the line of credit. If he needed a couple hundred bucks here or there to go out for the weekend, then he could pull that back off the line of credit. But in the meantime, he was saving all that interest expense. When we bought our house, um, we both upped our life insurance to make sure we could cover the mortgage and we just bought some cheap term insurance and then when I got pregnant Adam was still in residency and so we both decided that it made a whole bunch of sense to buy a bunch of life insurance um, as if he was finished his residency and what we looked at was number one if either of us died we wanted to wipe out both the mortgage and Adam's line of credit and number two, if either of us died, there was enough income flowing into the household to subsidize the surviving spouse's income um, to make sure that the surviving spouse and our daughter could continue to live comfortably and the surviving spouse could continue to um, pay for extra help within the house like uh, with a nanny and um, a cleaning lady. So Justine, when you were talking to us about at uh, what point you were recommending Adam obtain disability insurance, and we fast forward a few years and you start talking about life insurance, at what point should our listeners start to consider other types of insurance um, versus the initial disability coverage? Great question, Courtney. Anytime someone has debt that someone else would be responsible for paying upon death, that is uh, step number one for getting life insurance. So for example, with our mortgage, I would have been responsible for paying the whole mortgage if Adam died and vice versa, but we had budgeted for our mortgage based on both of our incomes. So we wanna have life insurance there to wipe that mortgage out. I also, um, Adam bought life insurance actually before we even started dating because uh, when you are an IMG, the banks do give you a line of credit at Prime, but they do ask that there's a co-signer. So Adam's father had co-signed his loan. And so Adam's father wanted to make sure that if Adam died, the loan was wiped out. So in those two circumstances, but the, the big one, and when you really need to uh, build on the amount of life insurance that you have, is when you have a child. And that's because now it's not just about the surviving spouse picking up and fending for themselves. It's now about that surviving spouse trying to maintain some semblance of what life was like when, when mom or dad still existed. So you're not just going to move out of your house. You're not just going to brush off and remarry. You're not just going to keep on working. You're, there's going to be time that you're going to have to be with your child, that you're going to have to ha have extra help, that you're going to want to stay at home so that your child has that stability. Um, and then uh, all this ends up costing and there's a whole income that's missing from it. Okay, that's excellent. Thanks. That will be great for everyone to keep in the back of their minds. For sure. And some people need life insurance in residency and others aren't going to need life insurance until 10 years later. It all depends. The final thing that um, as Adam got into practice, as he had mentioned, we tried to keep life 
about the same from an expense perspective uh, in terms of our personal lifestyle expenses because we knew that Adam was going to have overhead expenses. We knew that he was on income stabilization, but we weren't sure what that was going to look like after income stabilization. And we also knew that at the end of the year, he was going to owe a bunch of tax. And we weren't sure exactly what that number was going to look like, but we did know that we had to plan for it. So we kept expenses in, in our personal lives as stable as possible. And again, Adam just kept putting any extra money that he had onto his line of credit so that at the end of the year, when that tax bill came, which admittedly was a big surprise to both of us as to how large it actually was, um, we, we had access to funds in order to pay for that, that line of credit. When Adam did finish residency, the one thing that I made sure that he did, the final thing I made sure that he did, um, was bump up his disability insurance even further. And um, we got him into the Ontario Priority Insurance Plan through the OMA to replace those health benefits that he lost with payroll. And anyone who will be practicing in Ontario, you will have that opportunity within 90 days of graduating. That also provided him with critical illness insurance, which at some point in time, I'm going to encourage him to maybe purchase some more, but it's a great starting point and the most inexpensive way to get into it. Excellent. Well, that is just a wonderful overview of some of the things that our listeners should start to wrap their heads around and think about. And I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank Adam for joining Justine and I here today. Thank you very much, Dr. Lucas. Yeah, it's been no problem. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, you can all look forward to a few more podcasts to come. And thank you for listening.